If you are on a quest to revolutionize the way small businesses operate, then you'd better have some great ideas and be able to practice what you preach. Our next guest is Alicia Butler-Pierre, founder and CEO of Equilibrium. She's an author, podcaster, and business infrastructure expert, and most importantly, on a mission to give smaller businesses the same power as their bigger competitors. If you want to know more about Alicia and what she can do for your business, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Alicia, welcome to The Cashflow Show. Clayton, that was quite the intro, my (laughs) gosh. And you have the perfect radio and podcast voice. Thank you very much. That's very, very good. Coming from a fellow podcaster, I salute you. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You are most welcome. It's fantastic to have you on the show. And looking through the bios and the resumes that I get sent, they are usually containing quite a bit about a person. But I had to squeeze yours because I print these out so that I, 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 I know exactly where I am. I had to, I managed to get yours onto about three pages. <laughs> so I, I hurt some trees and I'm really sorry, but <laughs> unfortunately we've got a lot to cover today and I wanted to, to be able to do you justice. So. This is part of the what we call the transatlantic sessions, where we talk to business owners, founders, CEOs from people across the pond so we can build that special relationship. Because I think that um, our current prime minister and the current president not doing enough to get UK and US businesses together. There are great opportunities there. And I think that I'm not the secretary of state, but I am taking on that job. And they're not paying me enough to do it, but this is <laughs> this is my way of doing my bit. So along with the members of the Cashflow crew, I welcomed you um, to the show. So first of all, what I wanted to do was if you could tell us about your current role at Equilibrium. I am currently acting as the CEO. And I'm. that's a very... It's interesting the way you framed that question, Clayton. What is What am I currently doing there? Because I do see myself transitioning out of the role as CEO. So you know how oftentimes when we start our businesses, we have to begin with the end in mind? I do see myself exiting. I don't know exactly what that looks like, if it means me stepping down as CEO, but still working, having a very active role at the company, but just not as CEO. But that is what I am currently doing. So basically the buck stops with me. Mm, And that's interesting. That's interesting because I remember when I started in business, and this was many years ago, when I first heard the term exit strategy, I, I, I didn't get it. I, I, they, they said to me, oh, what's your exit strategy? And I thought, I haven't stolen anything. There's no need for me to exit. <laughs> Where am I going? And 
<laughs> and but this is before we got really into the fan companies and those people now where you didn't stay in a business until you died or until your children took over you you founded a business you grew a business and somebody would either take over that business or you would sell that business so the term exit strategy is something obviously that I clearly understand now. And the fact that you are saying you're starting the business with the end in mind is something that I would do with my current businesses, but didn't think at the time. But you also touched on something else, which is fascinating. Reading your bio and reading your resume and your LinkedIn and all the other bits and pieces that I've done, your ability to change and pivot quite fascinating and we'll come on to that and and various things that you've done but you really are able to change your style like that the lady in the um um in the marvel um uh, universe who's able to change into the shape of anything that she wants to i can't you I can't remember what her name is it'll come back to me probably at the mystique i think it is oh mystique yeah. okay and you're able to change yourself into whatever's happening at the time but We'll illustrate that as we go on into the show. So obviously you're currently CEO Equilibrium, but you weren't always there. You started from somewhere else. And if I mentioned the words chemical engineer, would that mean something to you? <laughs> indeed, indeed, Clayton. <laughs> so yes, that is how my career actually started. I was a chemical engineer. And I, whenever people ask me, how on earth did you pivot or transition from being a chemical engineer to doing what you're doing now? And honestly, it all makes sense to me, but I have to remind myself to others on the outside looking in, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. But if I may just really quickly explain what I was doing as a chemical engineer, please, for your audience, most chemical engineers, we work as what are called process engineers. So if we're in an oil refinery or a chemical plant of some sort, maybe even some doing something in pharmaceuticals, we literally are monitoring. Sometimes we actually design the equipment that is necessary to produce something at a massive scale, whether it be medication, refining oil, manufacturing some type of a chemical that is a that serves as a, another material for producing something else. And so what happens, Clayton, is there are certain specifications. Where whenever you're producing anything, there are certain specifications that the final product should meet. And if it does not meet that specification, as the process engineer, it was my job to actually figure out what went wrong in the process of producing a particular batch of something to cause it to not meet the specification. So imagine you take those concepts of troubleshooting, designing for massive output, figuring out why something goes wrong and translating that to the business world. So the way I look at it, I went from monitoring the flow of chemicals, if you will, through pipelines to monitoring the flow of information and work throughout a business. Ah, now that's a fantastic analogy and something that you can actually see if you close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Makes sense. It makes total sense. So 
you've decided that you're going to become a chemical engineer and you're doing that job. When did you decide, hmm, chemical engineering, nice, but hmm, not quite? It's interesting the way it came about. My very first job as a young woman was at a company that I know you've heard of, Monsanto. Right. <laughs> don't judge me, Clayton. Don't, <laughs> no, please no, don't on, judge me. <laughs> on, the, on the cash flow show, we don't judge. We just present okay. the facts and it's for the cash flow crew to give their opinion. But I stay out of it. I'm just, I'm just a facilitator here. <laughs> Keep in mind, I was very young. I was excited to have this was my very first job out of university. I was excited. And what I started noticing, Clayton, when where I was working, first of all, everything was siloed. The left hand did not know what the right hand was doing. So I, I didn't learn. I, did, I learned more about Monsanto as a company and what they were doing once I left than when I actually worked there because I had blinders on. I was siloed, focused on what the work that I was doing. But one of the things that I noticed very early on when I was working there, there was an accountant that was assigned to every division of the location where I worked. That accountant would bring, do you remember those old printer sheets? They, they were massive, these massive sheets of printer paper, and they had the perforated oh. edges. Do you <laughs> oh remember those? Oh, my God. I th- Clayton, they were, they that's were- what she would bring. It would be this report, and it was, it was, it was so thick. And she would talk about these these terms like equity and liability and cash flow and <laughs> assets and debt to equity ratio. And, and it just, it was as though she was speaking another language. And I didn't understand that language. I was not fluent in that language. But yet the things that were contained in those thick reports that she was providing to us on a monthly basis, literally were dictating our production schedules. For example, one day we may be told to run at 100% capacity. The next day we may be told to operate at 50%. And then the day after that, we may be told to shut down altogether. And then the following week we're, we're running full throttle again. So what seemed to be erratic decisions were really decisions that were being influenced by market fluctuations. But I didn't understand that, Clayton. I didn't understand that connection with what what was going on with the business world and how that impacted how much product we might produce that particular day. That's what set me on this course to start to learn more about business. So how did you make the transition? Because you're seeing what those dot matrix printers. I remember those, my (laughs) God. Uh, They were like, they'd be buzzing all the time. And, and, but people did feel very important when they had those sheets of paper because they used to concertina, if I remember rightly. You know, when you saw a stack of them all together, it looked like pretty serious stuff. It it did. It's, it was, it's scary. And it was so thick and blue, you know. So you're seeing all of this. Now, when do you take your hard hat chemical engineer person self and when does that transition into I'm going to do a business? When does that happen? That transition began around 2001 when I decided to go to business school. 
I was still working full time during the day, going to school at night. And I have to be honest with you, Clayton, it it opened my eyes to an entirely different world. I no longer saw the world the same, truly. And this is by no means an exaggeration because that was the missing link. I had this deep technical expertise. Indeed. But I didn't understand the world of commerce. I just I just didn't. I didn't understand why certain companies chose certain colors to represent their logo or their brand. And I didn't understand. I just didn't understand the interconnectivity of it all. And going to business school, it just really opened my eyes. And I was fascinated. I didn't want to do engineering anymore. (laughs) I wanted to do something in business, but to still be able to tap into those engineering skills. What ended up happening, I left Monsanto and started working at a smaller family-owned engineering consulting firm. And this was in New Orleans, Louisiana. So I'm from Louisiana. Oh, right. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's where I'm from originally. And that opened my eyes to small business, Clayton. So gone were the silos. Gone was the bureaucracy that I was experiencing in this larger corporate environment when I worked at Monsanto. And being in that smaller business environment Again, I started to see how everything was interconnected. I started to see how what was going on with HR and the finance group and the accounting group and the IT group and operations, sales, marketing, how all of those things were inextricably linked. And I didn't I didn't have the benefit of seeing that when I worked in this larger corporate organization. Eventually, I just had this hunch that I needed to get out of New Orleans. I remember graduating from Tulane University with my master's in business association administration, excuse me. And by the beginning of 2005, I just I made a bold move, my friend. I decided to leave New Orleans behind and venture into the unknown territory called Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) The home of Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines. (laughs) And I, I mentioned those companies in particular because I really thought, okay, I have this business degree. I have my chemical engineering degree. Who wouldn't want to hire me? I I want a a job at Coca-Cola where I can combine all of these skills together. I envisioned myself doing something that that some analytical work, but something that was also still very business oriented as well. Um, And after about two months of what seemed to be soulless job searching, I decided to redirect the time, effort, and energy that I was spending looking for a job, Mm -hmm. working for someone else into creating an opportunity for myself. That's how it happened. And here's what's interesting, Clayton. It didn't start off with me starting my company, Equilibria, as a, a business infrastructure or operations management consulting firm. It actually started as a professional organizing company. So for those of you, for your listeners, if you're familiar with people like Marie Kondo, uh, that's that's what I was doing. Okay. <laughs> so this is another pivot. This is an, indeed, this was a huge pivot because can you imagine I'm going from working as a chemical engineer to basically organizing someone's closet or home office and people thought I had lost my mind. They thought I had gone mad. <laughs> 
<laughs> but again, it was it was a skill that it was a natural skill that I had. I wanted to start a business, but here's what started to happen, Clayton. The majority of my organizing clients, I would say at least 90% of them, my first year in business, these were not disorganized, chronically disorganized people. These were not people who were hoarders. These were people who largely were operating businesses from their homes. These were entrepreneurs and they needed processes. So it wasn't that they were just, again, just chronically disorganized, disheveled people. These were very bright, very intelligent people. But I realized, oh my gosh, I can now tap into my skills as a process engineer and literally start to put processes in place for their businesses so that they can restore order and organization in their offices. And that is how eventually Equilibria shifted from a professional organizing company into an operations management company that offers business infrastructure. So effectively, we're 15 minutes in and you've literally nearly pivoted three times. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just getting started. <laughs> and we are just getting started. So this is fascinating, especially for me, because I think the crux of all of these changes and all of these pivots is the ability to recognize the potential of processes and systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the common thread, indeed. So you've made that journey from chemical engineer to going down to Atlanta, Georgia, and then realizing, hold on, why am I waiting to sit at the table? Let me build the table myself. Absolutely. So you now have an opportunity to start a business and you start your business in an area where you can see that small businesses, especially, are good people, but there are people without processes and without organization. How does that work? How did you get your first clients, for example? The first true business infrastructure client came quite by accident. I was invited to be on a local television show. This was in 2006, Clayton. And the theme or the topic was about organizing. The episode aired in January of 2006, which is at the top of the year when most people are thinking about setting their New Year's resolutions and organizing and losing weight are two big ones that most people <laughs> Most people have, right? <laughs> Indeed, those, those, they, that's why the gym. If you've got a gym, uh, these are, all you need to do is keep it going for three months of the year. <laughs> you know, just leading up to the summer holiday, so people can get beach body ready, right? And just after Christmas, so they can lose all the weight <laughs> from all of the eating during the holidays. Correct. That that's your simple business. If you can hire the equipment for that particular period of time, then you're set. Absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> um, and so, so uh, what happened, you, you never know who's going to watch something. Of course, your audience is everywhere. 
everywhere. And I, I didn't realize how powerful a medium television actually is until that episode aired. It was overwhelming. And this was just a very small, again, very small local television show. And one of the people who happened to see it was a district attorney here in the Atlanta area. And she called me herself. I will never forget this. She called and she said her name and I just paused. There was a long, awkward pause. And she said, hello, are you there? And I said, yes, I thought I was in trouble. I thought you were in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) She said her name so fast and she said, I'm, you know, I'm representing, you know, the such and such district attorney's office and blah, 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 blah. And she's going really fast. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? Did I not pay a tax on time? Did I do something wrong? Because I'm still very new to the area. And I, I, I just went into a panic. And she then went on to share the fact that she had seen me on this TV show. And she said, I would love to have you come into my office and work with my executive assistant because I think we need better systems in place. And this goes to show how naive I was about the fact that there can be disorder and chaos inside of a business. Because remember, I came from the world of engineering where everything was buttoned up and all I's were dotted, T's were crossed, because you had to. You're in a manufacturing situation. And when, when you're talking about producing something, that the quality needs to be consistent. There's no question about it. Of course. But when you're talking about services, that's a different ballgame. It doesn't have the same level of seriousness, I would say, as it does when you're when you're producing a physical good. Of course, but the thing that you weren't aware of is that I've spent my life in the legal profession. And if you've been in a oh. lawyer's office and you spent time in a lawyer's office, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> As I would come to find out. And it was so, was so interesting. I, I'm so grateful to her for that because Again, it opened my eyes. And that truly was the very first, what I would call commercial client. And she just kept giving me more and more work. We ended up working together for about two or three years, just all of these different projects that she had that would come up. And then other other attorneys and other lawyers in her office would also catch wind of the work that we were doing and the progress that was being made. And they started giving work to my company as well. And that's when I realized, hmm, this is more than just tidying things up. This is more than just about making a physical space better organized or aesthetically pleasing. This is, we're getting into something much deeper, much more foundational, much more profound and impactful. This is literally helping them set a foundation so that they can take things to a much larger scale. I cannot take credit for coming up with this particular phrase. I remember hiring one of the first marketing consultants that I worked with. She was really analyzing the work that I was doing, the people that I worked with up to that point, the projects that I had worked on. And she said, you know, Alicia, this is really, this is infrastructure, but not just infrastructure. This is business infrastructure. And that is how it happened, Clayton. And so I I literally started to rebrand the company as one from professional organizing to business infrastructure. 
And business infrastructure is really self-explanatory to me after having spent many years like the lawyers in the DA's office. I, I get to say the DA, I like that, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been watching too many movies. Um, but for me, business infrastructure really answers four questions. And I think the cash flow crew would like to know what those four questions that the business infrastructure actually answers. The first one is what work needs to be done? Second, how is that work organized? And when we say organized, how is it organized into departments? Number three, who will actually perform the work that you've identified? And then number four, how is that work performed? If you can answer those four questions, you literally have what it takes to start putting in place that foundational business infrastructure. The answers to those four questions gives you things like very descriptive, very transparent job descriptions. It gives you a company organizational chart. It gives you your records management systems, whether those records are digital or electronic or your physical records. And you can appreciate that being that you've been in so many lawyers' offices. It also helps you not only identify, but document the key processes that are needed. Because as you start to expand your company, you have to hire more people. Those people have to know what to do. Because again, you have to make sure that the service that you are providing or the goods that you are producing are done so in a consistent manner. We all know the lack of consistency can instantly kill any business. So we tend to work with fast-growing, established companies, Clayton, because these are companies that are at a point where they there's, there's no hard selling that has to be done on the value that business infrastructure of course. can provide. They're at a very crucial point in their businesses. They're at a point where they have more than they can handle. And they understand that if we don't get these things in place, we could potentially implode. We can fail, not because we don't have enough customers, but because we have too many. You find people who don't really understand that building your house on shifting sands is really what causes your business to fail. Absolutely. You're you're building a sandcastle that can easily be blown away. So... With that in mind, now that we've scared all the cash flow crew and, and, <laughs> and the rest of the audience, and they're all hiding under their desks and get to myself, oh my God, what can we do? There is hope. There's hope, I promise. <laughs> and that's what we're going to move on to. So what are some tools that you'd recommend to help small businesses digitize their operations or at least get them ready for any kind of expansion? If we focus first on just digitizing your operations, I always advocate for starting with free or low cost technologies that are already out there. My team, we use Slack as an example. This is a way for us to organize our communications and it gives us that ability to respond to things very quickly in real time. It frees up our inboxes, email inboxes, because one of the things I noticed during COVID was that the the rate of spam 
it just it just exploded during COVID, and it and it's it's here to stay now, unfortunately. And and with the proliferation now of these different AI tools that are out there, it's getting even worse because now there probably aren't even really humans that are sending you these emails. It's all of these different bots, and and it's just out of control. So I, I highly recommend Slack as a way of digitizing your communications, and it also gives you that ability to search things and search for certain things that you know there may have been some type of communication about. Another tool that my company uses that I highly recommend for my clients as well as to your audience is called Notion. Notion Notion.com. Well, okay. If you go there, it's so cool, Clayton, because it's a visual, it's, it's like an operating system in the sense that you can store your processes that you've documented You can create a CRM, a customer relationship management database of some sort. It can also function as a way for you to manage your different projects or task management. The beautiful thing about it also is that it integrates, it plays nicely, if you will, with so many other tools that you might already be using. So things like HubSpot or Monday.com or Trello or Asana or Slack and Zoom. All of these different tools, they all play nicely together. But Notion gives you the ability to have that one tool that you can bring all of these other tools into so that you and your team that you're working with don't have this myriad of different technologies that you do something very specific in. Notion gives you the opportunity. Notion gives you the notion, I said. (laughs) It's more than a notion. <laughs> because what I like about these models, and which is always very impressive to me, is that they they can be tried, they can be tested at very little cost. Because do you feel for some of the businesses that are coming up now slowly, cost is a is a major factor. Absolutely. And because this is the cash flow show, one piece of advice that I always remind myself of is something that came from, I got from Warren Buffett, the American billionaire. And he said, you know, it's not the higher ticket items that we have to worry about so much because think about it. If something has a higher price tag, we're going to think long and hard before we actually spend money on that, right? But it's the little micro tiny, oh, it's only, you know, uh, a dollar, a dollar ninety nine a month, or you know, two pounds a month, or and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, that's nothing. But when you start looking at all of these different tools that you have in place, and you add all of that up, my goodness, it adds up, doesn't it? And before you know it, you could easily be spending five hundred to seven hundred pounds a month. Of course, with this is the problem that people don't understand. People have an app for everything. Yes. And everybody wants you to, oh, come on to my app because my app can do this. My app can do that. My app can do that. My app can do transcription. My app can, can give you, uh, um, uh, different TikTok videos. My app can do this for you. My app can do that. Ultimately, as you keep saying, you end up with 10 apps. And if you're even saying paying $10, you know, 10 pounds a month, 
by the end of it, you you are, you've got a bill of a, a, an extra a uh, hundred dollars, a hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, and it goes up because you've become so addicted to that product. Now yes. you can't live without it, <laughs> and so as a consequence of that, the price goes up, and you're now into two hundred dollars territory. And you know it, it's hard to it's hard to get out of. I can I can understand that. It absolutely is. And that is a major, or it can be a major drain on your cash flow, just not having the discernment to be able to just, you know, really ask yourself, I I call it the shiny object syndrome. Don't get caught up in that. Yeah. Because it is enticing. Like, oh, wow, it can do that too. And it can do this. And a lot of times it's, 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 these are features you don't even need. As in your, as in your phone, we've got a brand new um, iPhone that's come out, and we have one every year. And the fact is, it's the the selling points or the unique selling points have become so negligible now. It's like, oh, it's shiny. You should buy it. Right, and it's new, and they're banking on the fact that for the first those who want that first mover advantage, that you know, you it gives you some street cred, right, to be able to say, well, I have the latest such and such, you know, I'm part of the, I'm part of the cool kids crew. Yeah. Um, if you will. Of course. But, but, but we do as, as entrepreneurs, as small business owners, we, again, we, we can't get caught up in the hype. And I always, I always encourage people document your processes and your procedures first, then figure out what technologies can best support that. Not the other way around. And this is something, not to to pick on us as small business owners, but this is something that large corporations do all the time. And they spend and waste millions because they invest. They've been sold the dream by these great salespeople. The salespeople are just doing their jobs. They're selling them these, these shiny objects. These companies invest in those shiny objects only to find out, oh my gosh, this now... It doesn't integrate with what we already have. Now, instead of streamlining this process, it's actually making it that much more cumbersome because now we have to enter data into two systems and not just one. And we have these legacy systems. It, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah. But if you analyze what what is our process now, how does the work actually flow and how can your product, Mr. Salesperson or Miss Salesperson, actually enhance, streamline, automate, support what we already have. And if it can't, then say, thank you. No, you know, thank you. This was nice, but we're, we're going to continue our search until we find something that does work for us. And, and that's fascinating because even in doing this podcast, there's lots of people who've created lots of new apps and so on and so forth. And they come yes. up and say, try my app. It's wonderful. This is fantastic. And I love having conversations with developers because what's fascinating about developers is that they want to sell you their MVP, their minimal viable product. And when you say to them, your MVP is fantastic. But can it do this? Now, the common sense thing is to do is to go away, think, oh, this guy may have something. What they say to you is, oh, yeah, oh, 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 we could do that. But the fact is, it's because it's not on their, their roadmap. 
they have no interest in implementing your changes. So mm-hmm. I say to them, if you you were able to implement this, I'm in a position to buy. But if you're not, there's no way it's going to happen. And they usually then just disappear. And uh, <laughs> I don't think they like me very much. Um, but um, uh, it reminds me of a story and it's completely unrelated. But because this is a podcast, we can go in that direction. When I was a dashing young blade, um, <laughs> this is true. This is true. When I was a dashing young blade, I I decided that I wanted, what was all the fashion was oxblood or burgundy type shoes. They were the fashion in the UK. Okay. And um, this was many, many years ago. And I decided I, I wanted a pair of these shoes and they were in a sale. Now, I don't know if they have the same system in the States, but one shoe had been left out. And one shoe had been obviously still left in the box. Okay, now, yes. Now, the shoe had been left out, has obviously started to slightly discolour. Now, the lady in the, in the shop, this shows you how young and naive I was, said to me, <laughs> oh, if you just polish those up, you know, that, that, that'll even out the, um, uh, the, the discrepancy in the colours and everything will be fine. Alicia... It's 2023 and I'm still polishing those shoes, hoping that the colours will even out. And it taught me a major lesson. (laughs) It taught me a major lesson. If the product or the service doesn't suit you from the very beginning, do not buy it. Do not buy it. because I love that. (laughs) And I think about it all the time because it took. I I, I eventually tried dyeing them black, but that didn't work. So in the end, I gave up. <laughs> it was a sad and sorry tale. It was a sad and sorry tale. But well, they sound like high quality shoes if you still have them. Well, I don't know how long ago you purchased. Well, them, I, I think that was to remind me not to be a fool. I think that's more than anything else. <laughs> So after hearing the tales of my poor buying choices as a dashing young blade, I want to really concentrate now on on this section on equilibria and how it actually seeks out its clients, the people that it wants to work with, and what are the services that you provide. Our core, everything we do centers around business infrastructure. And to that extent, Clayton, there is a framework that I've developed for creating business infrastructure. That framework is delivered in different ways because we want this information to be accessible to the masses. So we understand not everyone is going to be able to afford the high dollar consulting that we do. We, we, we understand that. So we start off with the book. Or actually, beyond that, before we even get to that, the things that are offered for free, we have a podcast, the Business Infrastructure Podcast. We have weekly episodes. That's where you can start to learn a little bit more about what business infrastructure is. There's a LinkedIn newsletter that I have called The Smooth Operator. Ooh, I like it. That's me. Uh, yes. That's me. That's right up my street, that is. Um. <laughs> uh, so, so all kinds of free content. There's our YouTube channel. So my point is, if you just want an introduction to what it is or a primer, if you will, there's all kinds of free information out there that we, free content that we have provided. 
And then beyond that, we have, there's a book that I wrote. It's called Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. This literally is a how-to book. It's, it's part textbook, but it tells stories. And that's what makes the book that's what makes the book not a, you know, an exercise in helping you to go to sleep, but <laughs> <laughs> but but in reading these stories about these entrepreneurs and each character in in these stories by the way represents I would say is kind of like a composite character okay. representing anywhere from 4 to 6 different people that I've actually worked with kind of, you know, represented in these composite characters if you will. And they're all faced with a particular fast growth challenge in their business. And they have a consultant who comes in and teaches them one of the elements of this business infrastructure framework. So in reading the story, you actually get to learn how to actually replicate or do the same thing for yourself. So that's for our do-it-yourself crowd. We also offer coaching over the phone or through through Zoom calls. If you are still saying, okay, I've, I've read some of the information, I've listened to some podcast episodes, I've read the book. I still, I still think this is something we can do internally. We don't need to hire anyone else to do it for us, but, but maybe we just need some guidance along the way. And that's what our coaching provides. And most recently, Clayton, we have released a course called the Smooth Operator Course. This is, what's different about this course is it's not just me as a talking head sitting in front of a camera, just regurgitating information that you have already read in a book or in a blog post somewhere. These are actual video demonstrations that literally show you, okay, whatever you may have read in the book, this is actually how you do it in real time. This is how you do it. And it's a lot of fun. And then of course, there's the consulting. We have this framework as our nucleus for all of the service, all of the different ways that we can share this information with people. And again, it's all about making it accessible. So why should you have to miss out on receiving this information simply because of price. So you've been kind enough to share with us the work that you do at Equilibria. But even though you're creating these books that don't send people to sleep, I'm sure that you are able with all of the things that you're doing to have just a little bit of downtime. So we're going to discuss what you do during that downtime in our section called What Are You Like? which has to be said in a Cockney accent. Um, <laughs> I'm priming you for when you come to the UK. So when you, okay. when, when you hear people, you're not saying, oh my God, I better ring Clayton because I can't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> so what are you like? So we're going to move on to the things that you like, which are effectively your favourite book, your favourite film, your favourite piece of music etc etc so we're going to start off with your one of your favorite business books and that would be how to win friends and influence people the classic by dale carnegie absolutely oh my gosh because people are at the heart of everything that we do in business whether it's customers whether it's vendors suppliers mentors we we all need each other and i think covid really taught all of us that lesson, right? No matter how introverted some of us may be, or actually, you know, as a reminder for extroverts even, but we need, we need each other. 
And if you can express a genuine interest in learning about others and not become so self-serving, it will go a long way for you personally as well as professionally. And that is why I think that book is one that everyone should read, whether you are an entrepreneur or someone who works works for someone else. I think it is abs- absolutely critical to read that book to advance yourself both personally and professionally. I think you're absolutely right. I think what I find fascinating or fascinating, I should say, about business is the way that people seem to do business with people as if they'll never see them again. Mm. And I always find that a very dangerous way to deal with people. A friend of mine often says to me, you get all these LinkedIn messages and you always answer everyone, whatever they are. And I say, yeah, because what's important is, is that people always remember the people that did them wrong. Oh, yes. And I don't want to be that guy. You know, there's one of my favorite quotes, since we're talking about favorite things, my, if I may really quickly, Clayton, oh, one of my favorite quotes comes from Maya Angelou. Oh, yes. And she said, you know, people may forget what you said. People may forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Most and definitely. I always think about that as well. And she's great for those kind of quotes, because the one that I always like as well is the one that says, when people show you who they are, believe them, believe them the first time. <laughs> yes. And that's, an, that's another thing because sometimes people get on in business and, or what they do in business. You think if that's how you're approaching people, I can see why you are not getting where you'd like to get to. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a big shot or I'm Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or anybody else by it that uh, by those standards but i think the problem is i think sometimes what business doesn't teach people is humility and mm. humility and respect for what other people are doing whether you it's something you approve of or disapprove of you like or you don't like and i always think that don't look at people when you meet them as a sales opportunity look at them as a person that you can form an alliance with yes and then everything else that comes as a result of that, you know, budding friendship, what, whatever, whatever that relationship may end up looking like, is just icing on the cake. Correct. As I said, treat people in such a way that, you know, don't look at everybody that you meet or every connection that you make as a business connection, because that's, you know, it's, it's a big mistake, because I think that to a certain extent, that person may become a business connection 10 years down the road, but in 10, over those 10 years, they've been watching how you move. They've been seeing how you interact with other people. They've been seeing what you do, how you deal with things on the internet, how you deal with things on social media. So they're forming a picture of you. So when they come to do business with you, they will know and have an idea of the type of person they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. That's my thoughts on it. So we wanted to move on to your favorite business book. And this is Behind the Facade. <laughs> and, and do you know something? I know it's your book. <laughs> and that's not, you know something? I think if you know that you've written something and it's good, you know it's good. And especially, I think it may have been one of the first out there. For business infrastructure. Yes. Yes. 
So, Indeed. Yeah, well, so therefore you don't really have any competition in that area. So, or you didn't, you, don't, you might have some now, but not at that particular time. So, right. yeah, great. So tell us about the book, because we've had people who have been business owners, founders, CEOs who have written their own book and they've said it's been hell. What do you say? Oh, it, it, it is one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And, and that is not an exaggeration. Yeah. It, it truly is because it's it's your life's work put into words. And how do you take all of these years of experience, all of these, all of this knowledge that you have, and put that in a format that would be palatable for again the masses? It's it's not an easy thing to do. But the book is structured. There's nine chapters. The first chapter and the very last chapter are literally like an intro and a conclusion. Mm -hmm. But in the middle, you have these stories. And the book is not intended to be read from from cover to cover because I'm I'm not because that that's where the textbook piece comes in because you have to be able to give yourself time to absorb the information. So, I always warn people, don't pick it up and think you're going to sit down and just read it from cover to cover. That's not the intent. The intent is to look through the table of contents, see what speaks to you and a particular problem that you might be facing currently in your business and go straight to that chapter. Read that chapter, jot down the steps for, you know, creating that component of business in infrastructure that's described in that particular chapter and then go implement it. It is not intended for you to read it and just say, oh, wow, okay, that was really great. This is not intended to be inspirational. It's intended to, ins to prompt action. So it's, it's not that kind of a book. It's not a motivational piece. <laughs> it's not inspirational. It's like, no, read, read, read what you need to at that moment and then go do it. Then when something else comes up and you have time again, pick it back up, read another chapter. But I do not recommend sitting down reading it from beginning to end. Right. But I think that's a good way of looking at things. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes a book that allows you, like a textbook, to extract what you need, and especially since yours is based on a lot of case studies and things like that, I think being able to do that takes the pressure off. You know, I'm not expected, it's not an exam. I'm not expected to read this, take it in, and then absorb it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Excellent. So now we're going to move on to your favorite music. And you're a fan of quite a few Bruno Mars songs. Yes, I am. Good. I, I like him. And, and I can't remember what else I told you about because there's, there's many. <laughs> what are you listening to at the moment? What have you listened to recently that may have um, uh, piqued your interest? Honestly, have you, I don't know if this has been released in the UK yet, but the Barbie movie, have you heard about that? That was a worldwide release all over the world. So okay. we all got it at the same time. So no oh, piracy. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize oh, that. Oh no, things have changed in terms of movies. Once upon a time, a movie would be released and we would, we would get your cast off prints. So after you'd seen, you, you <laughs> Americans had watched it and, and it was relegated then the rest it. of the world. But video changed all of that and because okay. when video came in you can make piracy uh, um co piracy copies or pirated copies i should say then that changed the game so and then it's like music music is all released at the same time now whereas yes. once upon a time 
for example, Dion Warwick, um, or we call her Dion Warwick. Um, uh, she in the sixties had an ongoing battle with a lady called Scylla Black. Um, Hmm. uh, um, and what had actually happened was Scylla Black was uh, a white lady from Liverpool, uh, home of the Beatles, and she was a contemporary of the Beatles. But what would happen, she would hear Dionne Warwick songs and copy them and then release them oh, over here in the UK. Wow. So, so when when poor Dionne Warwick was here, to, they said, oh, that's a Scylla Black song, that is. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so um, uh, yeah, so that was the difference back in the day. You know, there would be a six-month lead time between US and UK. Now it literally happens instantaneously. Everything happens at the same time. So we've had the Barbie movie. And so you're talking about the soundtrack to that. The Billie Eilish song in particular. Okay. What cool. was I made for? It's it's the entire I, I I just think it's so clever the way it's written. Hmm. Um, starting off with I used to float, now I just fall down. So if you've watched the movie, I think that it really I think the song makes the most sense if you've seen the actual movie okay. because you know it's uh and and not to get into the movie but it's is the the song itself to me is just one big double entendre it's okay. it's you know I'm speaking about I'm speaking through the eyes of a doll an inanimate object but I'm also speaking as a an actual person right. as an actual human being so it's just so clever the way it's written but all-time favorite artist without question is from, you know, homegrown UK, Sade. Absolutely all day, every day. Listen to it. Some song of hers every day. Not an exaggeration. So it's no accident that I call my course the smooth operator. <laughs> well, uh, well this, this is what's fascinating because Sade really captivated America. She was one of the few people who was able to make that transition. I mean, it, that was the second British invasion during the 80s, but mm-hmm. she really is an artist that as soon as she um, appears or is mentioned in America, it's like, Sade, oh, Sade. Seen her twice in concert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and but I think that she was actually quite smart, whether that was personal anxiety or whether she was that was a, a great career move. She basically didn't allow herself to be overexposed. Yes, that's what I love about her. Yeah. And she, I remember reading an article years ago. She said, you know, a lot of people ask me, why don't I put out more music? And she said, I write when I'm inspired. I'm not going to just put music out there just for the sake of keeping my name out there. Um, when, when I'm inspired to write, when I have something to say, I'll write it. If I don't, I don't. So, uh, I'm just grateful that I've been able to see her twice. Yeah. I th- I think going forward, it's probably going to be rarer and rarer that you see her. And luckily for her, she was incredibly fortunate to be not only a performer along with the rest of the Sade band, but she was also a writer. And because yes. those songs were massive songs, she now has the luxury that very few artists have of saying, ah, I don't necessarily need to put out an album. I don't want to put out an album or mm-hmm. I don't want to put out a single. I can just enjoy my life. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So you've chosen some films as well. And 
I'm going to read them off in order as I have them. So I've got The Wizard of Oz, starring obviously Judy Garland, A Beautiful Mind, Jason Bourne, pretending to be James Bond, uh, Matt, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon, and Malcolm X, um, starring Denzel Washington. Oh, yes. So you've got a few there. <laughs> what do they mean to you individually? Okay. Let's start with The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, my gosh. Um, the Wizard of Oz is, is again, just metaphorically, the, the, if, you, if you understand the hidden meanings, I guess, behind so many of the scenes in the movie, um, it's, it's, and the fact that it was done in the 30s. Uh, it, it's just it's just amazing to me, but it, it is it has had such a profound impact um, mm -hmm. that I actually there is a chapter in my book, and it's this idea. What many people don't realize about that story, for those who uh, are familiar with the story of the Wizard of Oz, Emerald City is this beautiful place. Again, everything is in shades of green. But what the movie doesn't show that the book actually explains is the reason why everything appears to be in shades of green is because people were forced to wear glasses that turned everything a green tint. Ah. So it was a part of keeping up the facade. It was the wizard's way of saying, I don't want you to really see things how they really are. Right. And that is why metaphorically, I chose to, to call the very first chapter in my book, Emerald City, to say, when you're building your business, don't create, don't just create this facade, this veneer that isn't, that is misrepresentative of what your business actually is. Yes. Right. So if you go through the trouble of establishing this veneer or this facade of your business, just make sure that when people pull back the curtain, like Toto did in the, <laughs> in the movie or in the story, that they actually see a true representation of what you have put out there into the universe. Right. Excellent. That's what it means. That movie means to me, just the, the metaphors that are used um, throughout the, the story. So are we going on to um, Beautiful Mind? A Beautiful Mind. A Beautiful Mind. Gosh, because that movie resonated with me because it made me understand or start to evaluate how far should you really go when you are passionate about something? Can it drive you mad? Can it drive you to the point of uh, insanity? Like in, at, what, at what cost does it come to you? Mm. Um, so that, that's why that movie in particular stands out for me because when, you, when you're passionate about something and you can't let it go, you can't, you literally are losing sleep over it. Um, and it turns out that the, you know, the main character that, um, oh gosh, uh, Russ, Russell, Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe, uh, Russell Crowe, Dr. Nash is who he plays. Um, you know, at first when I, the very first time I ever watched the movie, just really quickly, because I know we have to wrap up here, but the very first time I watched the movie, I thought, oh my goodness, he was so consumed with, with what he had going on in his mind that it caused this schizophrenia, but it turns out that was just, um, I think, a condition that developed uh, on, its, on its own, I guess. Mm. But I didn't know that the first time I watched the movie. So it scared me because it made me think, oh my goodness, will I, is that going to happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to be sent crazy by my own? <laughs> exactly. 
Right. Well, I have to be institutionalized <laughs> or medicated. Um, seriously, but but it's it's such a beautiful story. Mm. Um, again, about what when when people have that kind of passion about something, and you just can't let it go. Yeah. And you have to, and and just think of where the world is now because of of his of his unwillingness to turn it off. It came at a cost to him, but but for the greater good, um, I guess we could say it was worth it. Yeah, excellent. So you've got Jason Bourne, um, um, uh, Matt Damon in his- Because uh, I love traveling and okay. I love those movies. They're so fast paced and he's going from one country to the next. And I'm like, I want to I want to be like that at some point, not not running away from trouble. <laughs> I, I was going, I was going to mention that to you, Alicia. <laughs> no, not that I'm running away from trouble, but because I just think it's so cool how you can have connections. I mean, even you and I, I, I mentioned I will be there, and you know, yeah, I, I'll be across the pond in November, and and so the fact that you and I are now connected, exactly, and, and I can contact you, and you can, you know. Maybe we. I, I hope we can meet up in person yes, and course. and do some things together. So it's it's just that's something that podcasting has actually opened my. It's it's opened up my world literally. Yeah. So I know now when I go to certain countries, I have people that I can connect with, and and it's just a beautiful thing. So that's why I love those movies because they're fast paced and he's going from. It, it to me, it's also a, a crash course in how different countries operate. Of course. Yeah. Brilliant, so. brilliant. And so lastly, we've got um, Denzel Washington's um, acting masterpiece, Malcolm X. If there is any book, I will say that that has had a profound effect on me. It's that one. Talk about a pivot. Oh, Talk about a story of metamorphosis. Talk about a story of, of care, human evolution. It's that. Oh, yeah. It's it, you know, if it wasn't real, I don't think anybody could have written it like that. You wouldn't believe that that's what had happened to Malcolm. And, and Malcolm X always resonates for me as a person because I remember there was a story of Malcolm X flying over to the UK, to the north of England, because he heard that black people were being mistreated. Now, What's fascinating is that how many of the so-called leaders now would make that journey? Um, and that's, I, I think that ability to, to care about, um, a melanated person or melanated people wherever they were in the world is a, an interesting, um, facet that we don't see very often. So yeah. Right. And in, in the movie, as I said, I think it's, you know, Spike Lee as a director can be truly proud of that as he really does give you that massive widescreen cinema feel. Absolutely. And for the most part, it stays true to the actual story yeah. in the auto in his autobiography. So now we're coming towards the end of our show. And I wanted to sort of recap on where we were, but also take us into the future. So in terms of where we are in terms of equilibria, where do you see yourself going in the next year? Because obviously I can guarantee within my mind that you're a planner. 
And <laughs> <laughs> would I be right in saying that? Oh, you are absolutely right. We will continue expanding our team internationally. Right now, we are a team spread out across four countries. We will start to really gain traction in our online courses because, again, this is our way of getting information to the masses. Business infrastructure is not something just on the hearts and minds of, or something that companies only in the UK, Australia, the US, Canada need. It's the entire world. Through my travels, I do talk to different business owners. And we're all dealing with roughly the same issues, believe it or not. And so let's get this information out there to the masses. So that's, we are on a campaign to make this information accessible so that we can truly live up to that, that goal to revolutionize the way small businesses operate. So a lot of people are going to be listening here, the Cashflow crew. A lot of people have home office setups. What would you recommend or what tips do you have for people that are working remotely? One of the, so we mentioned some, some tools. Having those digital technologies, is, it's not even a matter of should I, it's you must. You must have these tools in place to communicate. Open up that Slack account. That's going to help you quite a bit. WhatsApp. WhatsApp, we use WhatsApp as a backup to Slack. So for whatever reason, if we're, we're having trouble with Slack, we know we can always go to WhatsApp. Again, we have a global team spread across four countries. So we all have WhatsApp accounts. WhatsApp has been incredibly reliable for us as a, a, a communications tool. We use Notion, as I also mentioned. We actually also do use Monday.com because Monday is, is a much more robust platform when it comes to task management. We do all of our meeting minutes there. We, we have, we're actually working right now with a person who is going to help us automate a workflow so that we can always know what everyone is doing. It's going to be so important for you when you're working remotely to always have visibility into what everyone else that you're working with is doing. Yes. You don't have the benefit of being in an office together where you can, you know, go to the next, you know, you might either be in the same room or you can walk down a hallway and you can literally stop by that person's office and have a conversation. You don't have that flexibility or that luxury when you're in the remote world. So use these tools, these cloud-based tools that are out there to gain that level of visibility. Get those workflows automated. So again, so that everyone knows what to do and how to do it and when it's expected. And, and we also use Zoom. We use Zoom to have our weekly team meetings. So again, it's just a way of us checking in with each other. What's challenging is navigating around the time zones, but we've, we've figured that out. Good. But again, because we are using all of these other cloud-based digital technologies, we have a level of visibility that even people that I know who are working in person don't have, uh, which is which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, you know, it is the future and we have to be aware of it. I mean, one of the things that I found fascinating after reading through the bios and the information was you had a mantra. Mm. We say mantra, you say mantra. Um, leave it better than you found it. Yes. What made you subscribe to that? I'm a recovering perfectionist. 
join Pardon? the club. We should join. We should have. We, we can have a recovering perfectionist meeting when you get to the UK. We, we should do that. Uh, we can call instead of Alcoholics Anonymous, it could be uh, Recovering like Perfectionist Anonymous. PA. <laughs> Um, and so I, I used to really get bent out of shape if I worked on something, made recommendations or suggestions, and then nothing happened or there was no follow through. But then I had to tell, I had to, to become comfortable with, well, is it at least better than what you found the situation originally? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you've done your job, even though there's always going to be more that you wish you could have done or more that you wish you could have said. Even when this, this interview ends, I know just me, because of my you know recovering perfectionist mindset, oh gosh, I really wish I would have said this. I wish I would have said this this way. I didn't get a chance to talk about, but we have to be comfortable with the fact that this is a great interview. And this is adding to the lexicon or the library that Clayton already has for the cash flow show. So that is that is a huge milestone in and of itself. Relish in the success of that. I agree with that because I have actually have 29 questions. <laughs> and so <laughs> but there comes a point where I have to say to myself you're taking over this person's life. You know, this, this is not an interview. This is an interrogation. So you have to, you have to learn to walk away from things. And oh yeah, the recovering perfectionist thing. Yeah, definitely. I've suffered from that greatly, but le learning to just say, do you know something? This is good. And I'm happy with this. Um, right. And you know, it, it, it's tough, but the, the fact is, is that leaving it better than you found it is a, a great way to be. It wouldn't make sense if I had you on the show and I didn't allow you to let people know where to find you. So where can people find Equilibria and Alicia on the internet? The best place to find Equilibria is on our website. It's E like Edward, Q like Quincy, B like boy, systems.com. That's our main company website. The best place to find me and connect with me is actually LinkedIn. Alicia Butler Pierre, or you can always come and hang out with me on my personal website, which is aliciabutlerpierre.com. And when you go to that site, it actually has links to all of my other social profiles, but I am most active on LinkedIn. Excellent. So Alicia Butler Pierre, founder and CEO of Equilibria, thank you for joining us on the Cashflow Show. Thank you, Clayton, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And before you, just before you go, me being a perfectionist, Tell us about your trip to London. I will be attending the Thinkers 50 event on the 5th and 6th of November, which is interesting because it's a Sunday and a Monday. I've never been to an event structured that way before, but this organization is London-based. Every year they recognize the top 50 thinkers in the management and business coaching space. Right. And I am a part of Dory Clark's recognized experts mastermind group. And she was actually listed as a top thinker in the world, I think uh, maybe if not last year, a couple of years ago. And so she extended an opportunity to her community 
to join her in this year's event, the gala. And I took her up on that opportunity. So I, I believe she has a group of about 80 of us that will be there. Wow. From around wow. the world in her community convening at this event. And so I am looking forward to attending that, but also having the opportunity to meet with you as well, Clayton, in person. That would be fantastic. It's an interesting time to be in London because November the 5th is Guy Fawkes night. Oh. And I don't know if you ever have heard the story of Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes was a chap who decided it might be a good idea to blow up parliament. Mm, is that the remember, remember the 5th of November? Correct. Oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I need to I need to do more research on that then. Yeah, because on that Sunday you probably might hear a few fireworks going off. Ah, okay. Interesting. I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> so that's that's my bit as the cultural attache for for London. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's much appreciated. You're most welcome. So Alicia Butler Pierre, founder and CEO of Equilibria. Thank you for joining us on The Cashflow Show. Oh, thank you for having me, Clayton. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of The Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.